0: Uh, for the liberals, it's good. lots of lies. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tom, do you Hello. How, do you are you? how are you? How am I to know all these? Linda's got her dad with her today. You saw that? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I didn't think anybody noticed. Does
1: anybody else know what T.B.H. means?
2: Okay, T.B.H., to be oh, continued. Honest. Oh, to be honest.
1: L O L, liberal, lots of lies. Yeah, 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 lots of lies.
2: <laughs> okay, it's five o'clock. We got to get started. Pray 1st or psalm? yes? No, we're gonna we're gonna uh, read a psalm first. Okay. Yud. Yud. No, no, no. no. One sixty-five. One nineteen sixty-five. One nineteen. Yeah, Burke was he was off by was eight oh, verses. Now we're at Tef. Teth. Which is a
1: basket surrounded, contained, or mud. Mud. Okay. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are calloused and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold.
2: Okay, just so you know, I, I've said this before and you may not remember it, but each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a meaning, as you noted. The the meaning of tet is mud. Okay, if you go to the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, Gospel of John is 21 chapters long, Revelation is 22, they follow those letters, the meaning of those letters. If you go, I did, as a matter of fact, my... Each uh,
0: chapter?
2: Yeah, each chapter. Mm-hmm. So I did a complete study on them as my submission for a, a course on the Bible in uh, college. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I decided, we'll see if it works. And it's, it's perfect. When Jesus uh, uh, healed the blind man at uh, Bethesda, what did he use? Mud. He used mud. Spit with, with uh, it, dirt, it, dirt it makes mud. And Ted is mud. So is uh, Robert all right? Yeah, he's all right. He
0: it couldn't make it.
2: To oh, okay. Well, tell him I said hi. Yeah, I didn't even know you were sitting there until I looked over and saw you leaning over. Anyway, if you follow, and I've got that, if you ever want to see it, I'll email it to you. I've got every chapter no, broken site. down. Uh, I, it's probably not on my site. But anyway, it was a really interesting study how every chapter of John and Revelation match I, what a book we've been given here I'm telling you what what a marvelous book anyway we'll go ahead and say a prayer and we'll get started any prayer requests have you had it did you get your last one you did all done all we want is good news from now on out um, uh, any, any specific prayer requests no okay. yes one
0: her name's
2: Donna Donna okay Heavenly Father we have a prayer for Donna and we have a prayer for multiple people this week again on uh, email which I have not written down for this Bible study but you know who they are And uh, in particular, I'd like to say a a prayer for uh, Lisa and her father, who we mentioned on uh, Sunday as well, with their troubles and their trials. And uh, we thank you for uh, listening to our prayers, hearing them and responding to them according to your wisdom. And uh, of course, we do pray for Donna as well, who uh, Burke has lifted up. And we thank you for the opportunity to come and meet here. We thank you for your precious word. And uh, Lord, you are so good to us. We just, we love you. We love you. We love your word. We love you for what you've done for us in in the person of Jesus and help us to always exalt him in our lives with our hearts and with our tongues and uh, to be proper stewards of uh, the short lives that we have been given. Thank you for all you've done for us and we praise you in his name. Amen. Amen. yeah, this girl, uh, I mentioned her in church. She's uh, she's suffering from a type of MS. She had an accident, which has done something to her body, and she's, she's finally to the point where she's uh, going to check herself into hospice. But she was being taken in the hospital. I got an email from her today. And while she's being taken either to or from the hospital in an ambulance she says to the guy in the ambulance, can I tell you about Jesus? So she's more worried about his spiritual life than, than her own physical. You know, I, I said, wow, That's good. that is, you know, as a matter of fact, I heard that one time somebody was saying that a doctor um, uh, came into a room and uh, he said, you know, it doesn't look good. And he said, can I tell you about Jesus? And he says, what? And he says, listen, your need is a lot bigger than mine. So, I, if you think about it, that's the truth. Just because you're the one that's physically falling apart does not mean that the need is greater in you. Um, so, having said that, let's get into the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 10. I thought it was 8, and it's, it's not. It's verse it's 10. It's so. a
1: so should I start off
2: with um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just start with 9, because it's a whole sentence. God, whom I serve
1: with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of the Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that that now at last, my, by God, will the way, God's will, the way. Okay, let's do all it again. In my <laughs> prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you.
2: Uh, I see what they did. They they gave some parent or commas there for you. They did by God's will. Gotcha. Okay, that's NIV. You're reading. NIV. Okay, yeah, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So that New King James kind of reorganized it a little. All right, let's see here. What are my comments on verse 10? Uh, the previous verse said, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. The prayers are what lead to Paul's request in this verse, that he would be able to make a personal visit to those in Rome if by some means indicates his tremendous desire to be there with them. Now, we were talking about this just a moment ago. I I don't remember exactly we went through this in the book of Acts but he wrote to the Romans about three years or so before he went to Rome and uh, I I, I can get you that information. I just need to go back and review my notes from Acts but um, uh, he wrote it beforehand. He had a desire to go there eventually the book of Acts ends with him going to Rome but you can logically in the book of Acts figure out when he wrote the book of Romans when he wrote the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians and so it's kind of exciting when you know that and you put a little mark you know somewhere in your Bible saying this is when Romans was written I find that kind of stuff exciting I know some people might not but to me that's that's where the joy is is to say that Paul had this issue on his mind at the time that he was in this place and it just kind of makes it come alive because here we are, we're studying the constitution of Christianity. I mean, the real heart and basis of, of Christology and what it means to be a follower of Christ, what he did and how it relates to us, how it relates to the people of Israel at a certain time. He had all those things on his mind at that time. Anyway, um, uh, it by some means indicates his tremendous desire to be there with them. He's got all of this going on in his mind And one of the things at the beginning is that he wants to be with them in Rome and to share something even more than what he's written. Um, It's like, if you think about it, Jesus, uh, 40-day, what would we call it? The 40-day seminary. He rises from the the grave, right? And then he presents himself to the apostles. And very quickly, hello, how are you? Very quickly, he... um, Uh, the apostles gain a ton of knowledge. And we know the first week uh, he appeared to them, and then it was the next uh, 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 week that he appeared to them again. And uh, there was a, a certain interval of time that he wasn't there during that 40 days with them. But eventually there was enough time with the apostles for them to understand a great deal of information, which later they went and passed on to the people that they talked to. And uh, so you know it's it was not really a 40-day seminary but it was during that 40-day period that he gave them he imparted all of this wisdom to them and yet thinking about that right there and and Paul writing here um, when they got to the Mount of Olives which is kind of reverting back to the book of Acts and I hate to do that but it's pertinent to this point right here when they got to the Mount of Olives they still did not know what was going on did they because the last question that they asked him was what
0: yeah.
2: So the yeah, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking kingdom age. They're still thinking that the Messiah is going to rule from Jerusalem. And that's why it is such an error, if you think about it, it is such an error for people to believe in replacement theology. It's because the apostles, the disciples that were, were there with him, and the, the apostles that went out and carried this message were thinking kingdom age. And if they were thinking that, they had a reason. is because that is what the Bible teaches. And he didn't tell them, this is the kingdom age, you're going to go out and do church stuff now. He never said that. He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons, which the father is, uh, I'm going to misquote it, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, he's put in, into his own hands or whatever. He says, you know, you have a job to do, go out and do it. He never said that the kingdom age wasn't coming. He simply didn't answer their question there is a time when the kingdom age is coming. And that's why replacement theology falls flat when you look at it from the eyes of the apostles and you look at it from the eyes of the people that understood the Old Testament without presuppositions, without biases, and without having you know 2,000 years of seminaries teach you that the church has replaced Israel. They never thought that, and we shouldn't either. No. So,
1: I can see where they got waylaid with Israel being in such...
2: Absolutely. It's like, okay, well that's not coming back. That's not coming back, and that's why I said, I said during the Prophecy Update last week, I will do this on this board during a Prophecy Update sometime so that people will understand why replacement theology is understandable. Not that it's correct, I don't agree with it, but why it was understandable at the time of the, you know, the 300, 400, all the way up to the 13 and 14 and 1500s. It's an understandable thing. If you are taught that the, you know, Israel is going to be the chief of the nations and that they're going to be uh, uh, you know, the one carrying the message of Christ and he's gone and there's nothing in Israel I can explain that and why people came to that conclusion faulted as it is it's very understandable but you're right about that you're 100% right about that um, let's see here uh, to Paul it didn't matter how it came about so much talking about going to be with them how it came about so much as that it would happen In the book of Acts, it is seen that he did make it to Rome after being accused and and imprisoned while in the land of Israel, and then being taken on a long, disaster-fraught journey by ship to Italy, and then up the peninsula to Rome. He prayed if by some means, and the petition was eventually granted in the most remarkable and well-documented way. Glorious how going through the book of Acts, it was astonishing, wasn't it? Seeing how absolutely accurate Luke was in his writings, he would say this person was uh, had this position and title at this time, 18, 1900 years later, they're digging in in uh, Greece and they find an inscription that says that guy's name with that title at that time. When for eighteen hundred years nobody believed it, they thought instead of a Plutarch it was a Tetrarch or some. You know, I'm just making words up here, but you understand. Luke is always vindicated in his writings, and the documentation is so superb. What he did. Um, I've said this guy's name before, but not during the the Romans book study, Um, so people online might want to read this guy's writings. His name is Colin Hemmer, H-E-M-E-R, and he wrote um, a a book about the uh, writings of Luke and how absolutely accurate they are. If, if you want, I don't remember the uh, the name of the book, but if you look up Colin Hemmer, you'll be able to uh, find it, you might be able to get it on Amazon for a dollar or two, or maybe it's expensive, I don't know. But anyway, um, if you want to know how superbly accurate the uh, the Book of Acts is in relation to archaeology, in relation to everything that uh, uh, you know, it corresponds to, Colin Hemmer wrote a book about it. So that's what I would recommend. Anyway, um, Uh, Let's see here. Where were we? In his request, this is Paul again, he also notes that if the trip to Rome is possible, that it will be in the will of God, right? God willing. Uh, Paul could have simply gotten on a ship or taken one of the roads which led to Rome and been there in a short amount of time, right? I mean, he was writing this, as I said, about three years before, uh, and he was somewhere up in, in, uh, I think it was around Greece or um, uh, somewhere around there at that time and uh, not Greece, um, uh, where the Corinthians are. And I, somewhere in that area, and I'll, I'll get that information, but uh, anyway, he could have just said, you know, I'm going to go to Rome. That's all you had to do. He's a, a Roman citizen. He had free travel in the empire, and he could have said, you know, I'm going to do this now, but he didn't. Instead, he let God direct his steps, if by God's will, okay? Uh, he understood that his was a ministry of obedience to his calling, and that what he did needed to be within the call of God and not because of his own desires. He longed to be there. He was excited about going there. He, you know, he, 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 It's evident all the way through the book of Acts and in his writings that Rome was one of his desires. It was one of his hopes. And he didn't just go there. You know, I'd like to go back to uh, Malaysia. I'm never going to go back there. I'd like to go to Israel again. I'm probably never going to go there as well. There are certain things that uh, you take priority in life. And if I did all the things that I wanted to do, then the important things would never get done. So um, uh, let's see here. Um, where was I calling? Oh, yeah, okay. If and until the time, that God, uh, time selected by God arose, which he knew it would, he was determined to continue with the ministry as the Lord directed. This is clearly seen in chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, which I will read to you right now. Chapter 15... Uh, verses 20 oh. through, of, of Romans, fifteen twenty through 23. And so I've made it my aim to uh, preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Okay, and then he goes on and he says, now I'm going to Jerusalem, etc. And he did get there, it just wasn't the way that he expected. But he knew that the Lord would direct him, he knew that the Lord would guide his steps, and he did. So, Spain
1: was not meant
2: to be. Spain was not meant to... Well, you know, some people say he actually did go to Spain. It's not in the Bible. Okay, he went to Rome. He was... we um, <clears throat> more tardy today. <clears throat> uh, he went to Rome and... <laughs> sorry about that. I had to. Um, uh, but uh, he was imprisoned. Then he was released. And some speculation is that he did make it to Spain eventually. It's not in the Bible. It's nothing that we can support 100%. But... Um, uh, there is some speculation that he actually did get there before he was taken back to Rome and, and uh, eventually, according to, you know, the, the, I think the church fathers, that he was beheaded. But um, anyway, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Paul gave the reason he was hindered from going to Rome, which was to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. However, his ministry and goals to that end were being realized, and so he planned on going as far as Spain to proclaim the gospel there. On the way, it was his intent to visit his beloved brethren in Rome, which did happen. What should be noted above all in this desire of Paul is that his intent in Rome was to share in Christ, not to sightsee. Okay? Uh, We can talk about that uh, uh, if you go to Israel. It's always great to go to Israel. Uh, Mom's been several times. Mom's not here tonight, by the way, because she did email me and she said she wouldn't be here. But um, um, she um, uh, has gone there several times and she's i'm sure she's talked to people about jesus there the bus driver or the whatever but um it's one thing to sightsee it's another thing to include christ in everything you do and um uh somebody emailed me about that just a while ago and uh i I think it was what you said um uh, about letting your life be a witness and a testimony and if necessary use words and that i i wholly agree with that position is because In my life, I've had people come up to me and literally, you know, when I left the the place that I, uh, the business that I had right down the road, I closed it because I met the Lord and I couldn't sell Buddhism stuff anymore. I went back to wastewater and I eventually uh, uh, went, it was the wastewater plant that I started at in 1979 or something in high school. And um, uh, I was working there and I would have people come up and say, why are you always so happy? I say because I know Jesus and then they would want to know more about that so if you let your life be a witness and uh, a testimony to your joy they're going to want to know why you have that joy and as I said you know some people are not evangelists I Billy Graham I remember being in that Baptist Church down the road here and uh, what is it um, West Florida uh, Christian School and uh, Temple Baptist Church anyway I was there for two or three years And uh, one day I was talking to a guy, then I mentioned Billy Graham, I was watching his crusade last night and how good it was. And he said, I don't listen to Billy Graham ever. And I said, why? And he said, because he gives salvation calls and then he never follows up. And the first thing I thought was, Billy Graham is an evangelist. He's giving the message of Christ to 100,000 people. He's not going to sit down in that, that town and start a church and say, everybody come to my church. He's going to go on and he's going to evangelize. That is his job. Some people are evangelists. Some people are, you know, they sit in the pews and they give. Some people, uh, uh, you know, quietly do things. Now, I, 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 will tell you what happened in the past two weeks is, um, there we have a new um, intro to the prophecy update. When I did the prophecy update in the past, I just had a picture. That was it. I just, you know, open it up with a picture and fade in, fade out, and then it's prophecy update. And somebody one time posted on YouTube, he says, you need to have the sound of the shofar because the picture is me blowing a shofar but I'll even go back further. I'll go back further. I wouldn't have had that picture except I had a picture that I posted of me blowing a shofar. I don't know who took it but anyway, it was on Facebook. And a guy that is out in Canada, I don't want to give anybody's names because these are all really shy people, but this guy was out in Canada and he took the picture And he made it into like this neat thing. Here I am. I'm in there. And there's a surreal background behind me. Buildings on fire. God's wind is blowing down. It's like the end times. Tribulation period. And so I thought, what a great picture. Hi, ladies. And um, so I used that. And that was what I had to open the Prophecy Update. Right? So this is this guy's ministry. He does nice things for people without ever being asked. He never asked me to say thank you or to send him money or anything. He just made this nice picture. Somebody else says, well, why don't you make a blowing sound at the beginning with it? So I did. And for the past year or so, we've had a blowing sound with the picture and then the Prophecy Update. And somebody out of the goodness of his heart about three weeks ago emailed me. And he said, Charlie, why don't you have a song open you at the beginning of the Prophecy Update? He says, I'm a musician. I'll do that for you. Okay? And I said, I don't want to do that because I don't want to violate a copyright and have... Somebody say, you have to take this down. And so what he did is he found a copyright song. He gave me a list of them, and he said, which one do you want? I said, Come Thou found." Okay, that's the song I love. Okay, it's copyright free. So he recorded music, and he sent it to me, and he says, here, how do you like that? It was 45 seconds long. I said, that is wonderful. He said, you know, if you want, I can do a voiceover for you as well. And so he did a voiceover. And the voiceover introduces the Prophecy Update with the picture, and the shofar sound. He took the same shofar sound, but he he made it, like, modified. So, it, boom, instead of, very cool. It is very cool. So, I put that up. The next day, after the Prophecy Update, somebody else, can't give his name because I know he'll be upset, but he's the kindest, most wonderful person who's done so much for this ministry, took, and he, I, I think that thing just shut off, so let me, uh... Let me uh, check this really quickly. I don't know. Maybe Sergio's doing something over there. Um, it's still on live. I'm going to put it back on. Uh, uh, I, I don't know why that thing yeah, did that. Um, yes, it was. I, it's on Bible study. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Anyway. Move I, the chair? I, I, no, it's Wait. not the chair. It's, oh, okay. it's, I, I don't know what it is. But anyway, um, so he the next day sent a video file with the same recording with all these neat photos that now introduce not just one photo but there's a sequence of photos that matched what the guy said in the introduction right (laughs) unfortunately the photos came in blurred because you know it was a transfer file and the sound wasn't right so I redid it but I used his exact same format okay and we put it on there it's crystal clear we've got all of this some people are geared for one thing some people are geared for another and so I try not to find fault in people if they don't do one thing but they do do another because each person has their own gifts and so that's the point that I'm making about that particular issue is that we all have a way of presenting ourselves where Christ will be glorified but every one of us should at least present ourselves where people are interested in why we are who we are okay now the guy that did the video work not the music but the video work like I say he's very he doesn't want to be recognized for anything. He always says don't give my name if you do this and that and he does a lot for this ministry and he is not here in Sarasota. I'll tell you that. So, he um uh uh he does things and he also includes other people in some emails and I don't want to say who, but we have a, an email thing going on and they are now blessed by him as well. Mm-hmm. And I know that they want to know more about him, you know, how did you get started? You know, it, it, you see what I'm saying? Right. Live your life where people can see what you are doing and say, I want to know why that person does what he does. And if you're brave enough to give the gospel, give the gospel. Everybody should be, but not everybody is really able. Moses was not a speaker. He asked four times or three times at least, you know, Lord, find somebody else to do this. And he did, he found somebody else to do it. Aaron spoke for Moses because Moses was not qualified. Now, at other times, you do see Moses speaking. And uh, you know, stepping out and doing that. But for the most part, we all have limitations. So try not to look at people's limitations. Look at the positives that they do, especially in how they conduct their life in Christ. Big dirt diversion. Sorry about that. But um, uh, why did I say that? Um, oh yeah, um, uh, it is because um, he wasn't there to sightsee. Okay, the whole point of that. When we do something, it's not always to be for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others. Okay, do something. Think of how you can have a positive effect on Christ when you're doing it. That's why I got into that. Um, Rome was the center of the world as far as things were concerned. There was royalty, pomp, wealth, and a million things that a visitor could do and see. And yet Paul's desire was one of fellowship, teaching, and building up the church, not taking in the splendor of the city. Okay. My guess is that when he was, well, I know that. It says at the end of the book of Acts, here's what it said. He was in prison while he was there. He, he, not prison, prison, but he was a prisoner. He was in a privately rented house, but he didn't leave that house. People came to see him. What does it say here? Um, um, oh, where is it? Um, oh, here it is. Last two verses of the uh, book. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ and all uh, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Okay. Now, my guess is, being a Roman citizen that was not um, convicted of anything, he could have said to the guard that he was attached to, you know, can we go down and see the Colosseum? And I bet you they would have let him do it, right? We do that in America all the time with people. Yeah, you can take a leave from prison for a couple years, whatever. I, I'm kidding, of course, but, you know, we, we, uh, we let people out for humanitarian reasons to go for a funeral or something. I'm sure they wouldn't let Paul do that, yeah, I but... What's that? What?
0: Obama did was yesterday.
2: Oh, I was going I to maybe include that in the Prophecy Update this weekend, but it's become so... Anytime something makes drudge, I try not to include it in the Prophecy Update because most people know about it. But, yeah, he let out in one day, in one day more than the past nine presidents combined, and that's a third of what he's let out. So he is... ...letting criminals out on the loose, people that were supposed to be in there for the rest of their life. Got to get off the politics, but it's very upsetting what that guy is doing to this nation. It's just, he takes everything and just rubs it in the people's face like this, It's just grimy. Um, All right, okay, so um, where was I? Not taking in the splendor of the city. Oh, question for you. Is this your heart's desire? How many of us go on a short-term missionary journeys in order to see the world or to visit an interesting location? I personally, term missionaries, uh, missionary th- things, have done a lot of good in, in the world. But I personally am not a big fan of them. I think a lot of short-term missionary trips are people going to get a nice, fun time down in the Dominican Republic and, you know, uh, see the ocean or something. It's not always the case. But I, I have to tell you, people that keep doing these things, and don't come back with any productive comments or productive um uh, this was accomplished, I wouldn't send them the next year. I wouldn't do it. Now, I know that we've sent missionaries in the past from the church we used to attend to, what was it, Serbia, yep. and they built actual buildings. Those people actually went and did something. They actually did something productive. They carried stuff up. Stairs, you know, mm-hmm. small stairs, Uh Uh, 81 to be 81 <laughs> stairs. So you were there. You got it. There you go. And that is the type of thing. You hear that and you say, okay, next year, I'm going to fund that again. Right? Mm-hmm. But when you hear of somebody from high school going down to the Dominican Republic and they never tell you what they did, they say, oh, it was a great time and I saw banana trees. And... But,
0: but Charlie, I do have to say one thing.
1: Yes. The people that are going, sometimes it reaffirms their... Food.
2: I understand that. And that was what happened yeah. to Hedico and Tangi and Thor all went to... Okay. Uh, with their... To their, with their school down to Mexico. And they were, came back reaffirmed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that apparently go down there and they have nothing positive either way. I was reaffirmed or I've done something to help other people. And I have seen many, many people do this year after year, going on mission trips with no productive response at all. If you were going there in order to... <laughs> Get in with the locals. It is not a good reason to go. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. So I'm not saying they're not good. I I, I don't in any way, like say say, Hedico, Thor went down there. They came back on fire for the Lord. Um, every single person, the school, every person that was in the school that went on that missionary trip had to give a testimony when they came back. They expected that of them. Every single one of them, every one of them said, I want to read the Bible more now because of Mrs. Garrett every single one of them, they said she should wake up and she'd be reading her Bible. And I thought, wow, everybody, every one of them noticed that in her. So good job there, Hediko. She's not here today, and I would have embarrassed her by saying that in front of her. But, you know, it, it, she was being an example to the children, and she's an example every day. She picks up that book and she reads it, you know. And this is her second language. It can't be easy And another thing about that, you know, reading in Japanese for her is really difficult. The reason why is because they use technical Japanese. And so she translated for the Japanese government into English and she translated for the U.S. government into Japanese. She is no dummy. She is a linguistic specialist in Japanese. And yet the Bible, for her to read it, is very complicated. She has to get out a second dictionary to understand the nuances of each of those characters that is translated with and so she said it's just easier for me to read English so that's got to be a burden your second language and you're reading it and uh, but anyway it, 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 when you do translations you have to be really really precise she did that with the government if she made a single error she could have caused an international uh, uh, incident right think of the weight of translating the Bible into another language the, 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 the most important document on the planet and you're going to say I'm going to take this and present it to another group of people you would better be willing to say I'm going to do this properly I'm going to learn this language I'm going to use the locals to understand the nuances of it because this is this is what they're going to be using for at least 20 or 30 years until somebody else comes in and does an updated version maybe that's the only copy of the, the Bible in that language that will ever, ever be written imagine the weight of responsibility that's why I said being in Bible translations to me is actually the scariest job of all of them of all of the jobs in handling the Bible whether it's teaching whether it's uh, preaching whatever job it is translations to me would be the scariest job of all yes sir
0: today I was reading the sixth chapter of Luke Luke the calling of the disciples right. to the apostles and it says and Judas who was the betrayer right So one version had who became the betrayer. So I looked in the word studies. There was four and a half pages on that word. On that one word. Was or become. I couldn't believe it. Can you imagine? All the references, you know, for four and a half pages, it just blew me away.
2: And that's why you need to know the context. And that's why Will Groban, what an asset he is. You know, if we ever make it to the New Testament in our sermons, I'll be emailing him all the time. Because... I want to know the nuances of what that's saying, and he is well-trained in that. Right now, I can go to Sergio Enroda, and I can say, Sergio Enroda, I am having a problem with this word. The commentaries on it are not sufficient. You know, I, I, I need to know more about this, and they will sit down, and they'll help me with one word that may take us 30 minutes to get through, whatever. I try not to do it often because he's got a life, but there are times where I get so frustrated because I want to make sure that this sermon is going to be appropriate, and that the word that I am using is not going to be misused. And if Sergio says, I don't think that's appropriate, that is the end of it with me. I, don't, I try never to go around that because he's, he and Ser, uh, Broda are, are more adept at this than I am, even though it's modern Hebrew that they know. They can go back and they can, you know, it would be like us reading the King James Version. Right. And I'm talking about the original King James Version, not the many changes in the modern one. The original is very hard to read. Okay? And so for us to uh, uh, say, I'm going to be a Bible translator, I, I imagine that. four pages of notes on that. Will Grobin one time told me, I have spent hours on the word Eis. It's a word that is uh, used for many different uses in the New Testament. And it can mean this, it can mean this. It can mean it, it would be like our word, um, well, some uh, word that has from. a lot from, yeah, right? That's a perfect word. And I'll tell you another thing about that. I hate to get too far off but it's, it's interesting. Is that if you take the sentence, I didn't say that she said that he did it, and you put the stress on every single one of those words, you'll change the entire sentence. Okay. I didn't say that she said that he did it. I didn't say that she said that he said that he did it. I didn't say. You see what I'm saying? Every, you take every word in that sentence, and you change the stress, and the it, sentence is completely um. different. Now do that with this. I know. Do that with this book. And people say, oh, the King James Version is the only version. Oh. And it, that is insane. Their preface at the beginning of the King James Version says, don't rely on one version because it could be another. And they they admit right in their own original preface, we don't know what these words mean. There are sentences and words which we do not know what they mean. And so they are doing their best in the translation and this conspiracy that people tear apart other translations. Why? Because there are people that sell the only proper King James version and they make a ton of money off of it King James onlyism comes down to money it comes down to a guy that came up with this theory and he publishes you know that he emailed him and he says well, I've got the king and he says no you don't have to write one you need to buy mine yeah and guess what it's royalty free it is royalty free and so when you have the King James Version you don't have to pay any royalties it's all, all you do is pay the printing charges and you get all the money for it. Put on a fancy little logo and say this is the only authorized version. It just, it's very annoying. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, Sorry about all those diversions, but all of it bears on the word of God. So, um, all right, uh, verse one. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't finish the last sentence. Um, Our intent and goal should be one of service, not self-satisfaction. Let us remember this and pray that our goals are in line with his good news. All right, Hunter, are you having a good time here? You look bored, buddy. (laughs) Uh, A little confused. Uh, don't worry I am too um, <laughs> all right so verse 11 please
1: verse 11. I, I long to see you that I may impart on you some spiritual gift to make you strong
2: okay mine says rather than strong that you may be established okay hmm. uh, verse 11 again we note that it is Paul's desire to see the believers in Rome and not the city itself he was far less interested in the splendor of the buildings, the pomp of those who govern, or the wealth or of the commerce and trade, and far more interested in the establishment of the faith of those who were called saints. This was his desire. And, you know, lately, lately, and I think it's because I don't have to go to Massachusetts this year. For the first time in many, many years, I don't have to go. Dad gave me an out at the beginning of the year, and he kind of waffled on it afterward. And I, uh, I, I didn't let it. He he kind of said, you know, I, we may not need you up there this year, and I thought, you know, I know he's just being gracious and he wants me to say I'm going to come, but unless he tells me I want you to come, I'm not going to do it. And he kind of, you know, afterward, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to come, and I, I, sure. I, hey you know, but he never said I want you to, and so I, I stuck to it. And I thought, you know what, I have not, because Massachusetts is not a a, a, a vacation. It's a, it's much harder work than I ever do down here. But I said I really haven't taken a vacation even one day off in probably five six seven years it's been a long time not a single day and i thought the more that i think about this the more i i think i enjoy it because i get one chance at this i get one chance at presenting god's word to people and every devotional that i type is an attempt to get people interested in god's word and every time i post a sunrise with a bible verse on it it's in hopes you know that guy isaac we were talking about from africa he emailed me a, a week or two ago, and he said, you know, I can't thank you enough for those sunrise photos with those verses. He says, they just build me up. And then they, the uh, the prayer I do on each day, he says, that means so much to me. And I thought, you know what? This is a guy in Africa. He's a pastor over there or, or, or in charge of an orphanage, a Christian orphanage, and he is excited about the word of God because he's being instilled with it. So I don't need days off. This is my day off. Hebrews 4, three. Now we who believe do... Enter that rest. That's right. I'm in my rest. I'm enjoying it. I don't want to take days off. I just want to keep on doing what I'm doing until the Lord calls me home, and may that be soon. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, Of particular interest and purpose was that he would be there to impart some spiritual gift to the church. There are two main views on this statement. Okay, the first view is that this spiritual gift was an extraordinary apostolic gift such as speaking in tongues, healing, future prophecy, future prophecy, etc. Within this view, there are two subcategories. Once received, the miraculous gift would be established and then could be passed on, such as charismatic churches believe is the case today. Okay, see what I'm saying? Paul says that I want to uh, impart some spiritual gift to you, and then some people will say that means that he wants to give them one of his apostolic gifts. He wants to hand it over to them, okay? Okay. And then, from there, that will be a permanent gift for them always. They can roll around in the aisle and they can speak in tongues and do all that. That, that is a, one of the sub-views. The second sub-view, this gift was given by Paul because he was an apostle and it would be to validate his apostolic office and help solidify their faith in the gospel. Beyond Paul, the gift couldn't be transferred because such, such gifts were given to and through the apostles only. So it's one of those two subs from the first point. Or the second main view is that this spiritual gift was not miraculous at all, okay? The second option is certainly correct uh, in this analysis. To assume that Paul was going to give them a miraculous gift to establish or solidify their saving faith is contrary to the gospel message. We were saved by grace grace through faith. And that not of sight, uh, um, uh, that not of um, yourself It is his gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And we live by faith and not by... Sign. So if he needs to give them a sign to establish their faith, then it's not by faith. It's by sight. Oh, now I have faith because I have sight. That's not it. Okay, so it can't be that. All right? That's contrary to the gospel. It is also a forced and unnatural reading of the intent, which will be explained completely in the second half of the thought verse 12. Okay, so we're not in verse 12 yet. Okay, so that's not it. But charismatics will take a verse like that and they will say, obviously Paul wanted to give them a super uh, gift of speaking in tongues so that they can speak in tongues. That is, that they have a presupposition. They will take that presupposition and they will insert that into their theology in every Bible verse that they can because that's what they believe. Whether it's correct or not, it is not correct. Alright, Paul uses the term te charisma some that I may impart gift, which is certainly a general gift of edification such as instruction. His intent is to give it just as he is doing with his letter, but in person. That's what he's doing with his letter. He's imparting to them a spiritual gift. It is the greatest spiritual gift that I could think of is what Paul has given us in the 13 letters that he wrote and probably Hebrews as well. Unnamed, but probably Hebrews. To me, the Bible is the greatest gift of all. If Paul wrote those letters, that was the greatest gift that he could have given us. What more could he give him? Let me have you speak in tongues, okay? Let me have you give a a future prophecy. That's nonsense, and it's nonsense to this day. Charismatics look for the sensational rather than looking for what is detailed and given by God in his word. We need something extra. I don't believe that. I believe that this is suitable for our life and for our practice, and it is all we need. As a matter of fact, it is all we have been, been given. So the,
1: the commentaries in this book, right, they, they batten Yes. They run 800. Oh, they yeah. This, like, out of this, but this one when they hit straight. They go, what spiritual gifts can a human being give? None. That's right. Only the Holy Spirit can give spiritual gifts. But humans can serve to confirm God's work in others announcing or acknowledging their spiritual gifts. Yep, read louder. For example, um, 1 Timothy 4.14, 2 Timothy 1, six. Right. Some, however, see Paul wanting to impart something more general, a gift of grace, anything from words of insight to deeds of kindness.
2: There you go. He wants to impart to them a spiritual gift, which is what he's doing in his epistle, and he just wants to confirm that in person. Okay? So we'll go on. Um, thank you. That was very well written. Um, uh, that's... Okay, yeah, I know it. Um, anyway, so... Um, Uh, His intent is to give it just as he is doing with this letter, but in person. There is no other instance elsewhere in Paul's writings where he, the words he uses uh, in this verse denote the giving of a miraculous gift. Never. Okay? Paul was a builder of faith and an instructor in the gospel. He was given the gifts of an apostle, but he wasn't one to wield them in a showy manner, nor use them as a point of impressing others. Okay? Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Why did I pick that? I don't even remember why I picked that. Oh, I do. That's, I know. Um, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. Okay, in what context is 1 Corinthians 14? What is he speaking about in there? That's right, tongues. Immature. He equates these people coming in and speaking in tongues as being immature. Show that to a charismatic and they'll just completely ignore it. But he is saying that this is an immature way of doing this. Tongues are real, known languages. They are never anything but a real, known language. The word tongues simply is the word language. Okay? If you want to go through that sometime, we will. We'll be in 1 Corinthians, and it'll be soon. But uh, we'll be through Romans in no time. But um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is absolutely clear. And it also says, which no charismatic church that I've been to or seen on TV follows... No more than three can uh, speak in a tongue. That means during the whole the whole time and not without an interpreter. And yet they stand up in the pulpit and they make all these noises. People rolling around in the aisles making these noises. If this is written, here's here's a little syllogism for you. Remember syllogism. This this equals this. Who wrote this? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay. Yes, it was individuals, but the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote it. That's ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, if somebody is in a church and they proclaim that they are speaking tongues by the Holy Spirit, right? And they do not match what this says, then they cannot be speaking by the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. It is another spirit. It is impossible for the Holy Spirit to give a tongue in a church that doesn't match the guidelines of this book. It is impossible because God does not make errors. Okay, so if somebody's in a church and they are speaking in a tongue and is not translated, then it's not of the Holy Spirit. And it one, is not, and it cannot be, okay? One by one. One by one, one at a time, not in unison. It must be translated no more than three in a congregation. Anybody ever watched on TV these people do that? I ain't never seen it. So it cannot be of the Holy Spirit, unless this is not of God, and then they have no basis for their church anyway. This is our walking, our marching orders right here. This is it, okay? So um, sure. yes, sir.
0: Back in verse eight.
2: Back in verse eight. says
0: because of your faith that is known worldwide. That's right. Your faith. So what he's trying to do here is, is build them up. To build them up in the faith. The faith here is his object, I think.
2: That's exactly right. Their faith is the object. I'm glad you said that. I was going to say that in a couple minutes, but you're, that's absolutely right. So you preempted me again, which he's very good at doing. You're the king of. No, no don't die. I'm happy you do. Because then it reminds me later that we can expand on whatever you said. But that's exactly their object is to build up their faith, it's not to get off on crazy tangents. Okay? Um, okay, uh, here, my next words. Paul was a builder of the faith and an instructor of the gospel. Okay? He, very good. Uh, he was given the gifts of an apostle. But he wasn't one to yield them in a showy manner, nor use them as a point of impressing others. Okay? Oh, 1 Corinthians 14, that's where I got So, it, Well, also, uh, Ephesians 4,
0: he says for the building up of the body of Christ, the build, that's why, why he got these. So that's he right. That he got
2: up. the gifts for the building up of the body. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Okay, that's right. They are apostolic gifts. There are all kinds of gifts. Some are apostolic only. And, you know, some people will argue, well, this one is apostolic and this one isn't. But I can tell you that the ones that are apostolic and that are misused today are certainly not... I don't want to get too far off on that, but we'll go through 1 Corinthians 14 sometime, and it is crystal clear what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, Paul's ideas of spiritual gifts for the building up of the body are in Rome, are listed in chapter 12. Okay? And they fit the sound and established criteria of organizational development, not unwieldy foundation of the sensational. Okay? Romans 12 are the gifts that he wanted to build them up in. So it says here, Romans 12, um, uh, here we go. It says, um, for we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. All right. Or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Exhorters to me are the most wonderful thing. I, you know, when somebody emails me right out of the blue and they say, thank you for your ministry. They may not know that they're exercising a gift, but they are. And they're giving one that sometimes I really need. I don't know if you guys, do you get that with your, uh, the things you send out? I've given you some <laughs> I know I have stop shaking your head but I've got to tell you when somebody does that at just the right time there are nothing better there's nothing better especially when you're down because somebody complains about something and I don't sleep I talked to somebody about that on uh, my email uh, yesterday he emailed me and he gave me just a word of encouragement and I said I, when people come and they, they complain about something I literally will not sleep that night and it can be a small issue but I think you know you've never emailed me about anything before, and all you want to do is complain. And I go to bed at night, and I turn over and turn over. So when somebody sent you a note just saying "good job," uh, it's like water on the top of your head in the middle of the desert. It really is. Yes, you
0: know, I was at a funeral a week and a half ago.
2: Yeah,
0: and the lady who's on my list that I send out, I was going to take her off my list. I haven't heard from her ever. Wow. And
2: the sister says
0: my sister really enjoys your writing. oh, oh boy
2: I better not take her off my list oh uh, see yeah but she doesn't know that she's not you know she's she's being blessed by you and so yeah never take anybody off the list let them email you and I've had people do that or you know whatever but you never know what effect you're having on people because some people are just quiet so once again you've got exorters, She's not an exhorter. She's a learner. She's she she's in the...
0: Though, yeah, she, might,
2: she blessed the sister by saying that, right? So, and it came back to you indirectly. But she's not an exhorter personally. Um, he who gives with liberality. Some people, that's all they do. They go into church, they listen, they're quiet, they put something in the box for the church. Okay? And it may be something a lot. He gives with liberality. That is his gift. Paul calls that a gift. It doesn't mean that everybody has to give. If you can't, don't. You know, I... You know me in tithing. You know me, and I, I will get off on a tangent, and will never get back onto it, but it is the most abused precept in Christianity, in my opinion. If you watch TV, there's always a donate button down at the bottom, or send money here, or send money there, and they say, your tithes and offerings, and I have to tell you what, tithing is an Old Testament precept, and even the tithing that is listed in the, New- the Old Testament is never, never, never once have I heard anybody teach it properly. Ever and yet it's Old Testament. It is set aside in Christ. If you don't, I tell people they'll email and they'll say, "I'm really having trouble tithing right now. We're having bad financial situation." And I always go back and I say the same thing. Do you think the Lord wants you to give when you are having financial trouble? You are stealing from one place to give to another. If you if you owe somebody money, and I'm not talking about your your house, which you pay monthly on. You made an obligation paid over thirty years. They're making money off of you. That's fine. I'm talking about if you owe somebody money and you still give to the church, you're actually stealing from that person because you owe them something. You owe them something that is something that they need. Now, if they say, don't worry about it, then give to your church. But what I'm saying is if somebody needs that and they gave you a hand because they needed it, you needed it at the time, you need to pay that back. The church doesn't need your money. The Lord will provide for that church, I assure you. The Lord will always provide if that he wants that church to continue. Why? Because it's, it's his church. That's right. It is his church. If it's not meant to stay open, it is not going to. And that doesn't mean that every church that does well is in line with the church, as we know. But if a church is in line with God's word and it is not being successful, it's because the Lord wants it to be consolidated. He wants it to move, whatever. I I, I tell you if people owe they should pay what they owe if they don't unless the people say you don't have to you know this is this is free and clear you just do whatever you want with it pay me back when you want whatever there's a completely different there so I don't want to put a burden on people on the other side of that either but make sure that when you are giving you do it with your heart and as the Lord has blessed you because that is the precept that the New Testament the only precept that the New Testament gives with one other exception, which is in Galatians 6, I think it's verse 16, where it says that um, uh, share with uh, the one who instructs you, right? I, I, and I'm not asking for people to share with, this is a, everything we do in this church is free. Everything. If somebody wants to give a gift, they do. And that is it. But we don't ask for donations. We never monetize the videos. If somebody wants my sermons, I email them to them. Everything here is free and open because that is the way, this is the Lord's word, and this is his church. So anyway, um, not to get on another sidetrack with that, and I'm sorry about that, but anyway, um, where were we? Um, uh, This is the, oh, yeah, okay, when we as believers put our trust in or base our faith on outward demonstrations of spiritual gifts, we have an unsound foundation, okay? That's all there is to it. If we are going to a charismatic church and we're saying, we're putting our trust in this outward display of a gift, you have based your your faith on an unsound foundation because if that gift isn't real or if it disappears if it was real and it disappears where is your faith right i, I anyway I just I don't want to go okay the Word of God the Holy Bible is what tells us of Jesus as spoken through the prophets and apostles this is where the basis of strong faith should be realized this book right here this is where the basis of your strong faith should be realized and He's given us, as it says in Romans. Oh, and that's why I was talking about that issue is because I was going through the gifts in 12, which I didn't finish. Some are given for exhorters. Some are given for comforters. Some are given for administrations and helps and all these other things. I can tell you, when I'm out on Saturday morning with Jim and Tom, I'm being blessed by those two as much as anything that happens during the week because we're building each other up. We're stopping. We're praying with people. We say nice comments about what happened. At the end of the day, we evaluate what happened. <clears throat> You know, Jim, sometimes we'll give a recap at lunch. I love our lunches. Oh, man. We go to IHOP every week, and it is wonderful. We'll have,
1: so, these we'll four of us. Oh,
2: good. I love it. I, I, I love it. You know, but we, we do a recap of what happened. We'll stop and we'll pray for everybody in IHOP. And, you know, if the, the waitress comes over and she's having a bad day, come, let's have a prayer with her, you know, because we always get one of the two same girls, and they, they always are uh, amenable to praying with us or whatever. So, Those are the kind of things that build up the body. Those if you're relying on an outward demonstration, then your faith is not sound. And we want sound faith. Sound faith comes from this book right here and our application of it in our lives. Okay? Alright, verse twelve. Unless anybody has something on verse eleven. No. What she explains.
1: That is that you and I be mutually encouraged by each other's faith.
2: Okay, oh it's what? That's what mine is. Okay, mine's a little longer for, um, that is, I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So a little longer, but anyway, um, excuse me, as noted in the previous verse, the spiritual gift he desired to impart was most likely not a miraculous gift. That's my thought, okay? If you disagree, disagree, that's fine, but... Uh, These are my notes that I did, and after studying, after reading the Word, after putting all of this together, understanding the context of 1 Corinthians 14, this was not a miraculous gift that he's speaking of. Actually, it is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It is because the Holy Spirit is working through him. So it is miraculous in that, and you're absolutely right. Um, Instead, he desired to impart a gift that they may be established. Okay? This is sure... Because they were already believers, and therefore a miraculous sign wouldn't get them any more saved. Right? Isn't that logical? If if he's going to bring them a miraculous gift, what good is it going to do? They're already saved. So if he's going to establish them in their faith, they don't need it. All right? Therefore, the verse isn't speaking of the establishment in this sense, but rather grounding in the salvation they already possessed. And i got to tell you what, that's what church is for that is what, why we come to church, is to be grounded in the faith we already possess. Um, how's your sister doing? Is she alright? She's good. Good. I keep seeing your head bobbing, and I, I keep meaning to ask you, because I, she's such a sweet person. I'm sorry she had to leave so quickly. I wish she spent the summer. Anyway, at um, wow. church, we have two new people that have been attending, and we'll see how long they last, but um, they've been attending, and they're not grounded in Scripture at all, right? They, they don't know, know the know. Bible well. No. What? Yeah, they, they, they just don't, okay? But... My thought is, the same as always, and I don't mean that they don't know the Bible, I'm just saying they're not they're not deeply grounded in it. But my thought is that as long as they stay here, they will understand those sermons. They may be complicated, but they're going to understand as much as anybody else understands, because you've never seen the presentation of Christ in these either, have you? Right? In most right. of the sermons. So you're going to get something out of it different than uh, Tom would get if he attended, and different than you get, right? And different than Pat is going to get. And so... Every one of us is going to get something different. They are going to get something out of those sermons, and plus, they're going to be like getting the Bible. Three weeks. Now. Three, weeks? Now. three weeks. Thank the Lord for that. And they're such nice people. I'm yeah. going to tell you what you you have some nice folks that you uh, invited to the church. I mean, just very sweet souls. Don't tell them I said so. All right, I don't want to butter them up or anything. Keep but them they, guessing. Yeah, keep them guessing whether whether we like them or not. Yeah, when we have the hugs at the halftime, everybody just ignores them. It's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I'm kidding. I'm they are very nice people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, which i read, I started in verse 20, Paul tells us that the per- what the purpose of miraculous signs is. He says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Paul is writing to believers in Rome. And when he's speaking of prophesying, he's not speaking of foretelling, he's speaking of forthtelling. The word of God. I have been given the word of God. I'm an apostle and I'm telling you about it. Foretelling is thus says the Lord. The world is going to end in 10 days. That's foretelling. Jeremiah, he would foretell. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You know, this king is going to be exiled. His eyes are going to be gouged out. Whatever. Okay, that is foretelling. Foretelling is taking the word of God and explaining it to people. That's what Paul is speaking of here. Um, All right, um, let's see here. To confirm that this wasn't the imparting of such a gift... Paul completes the thought with verse 12 by stating first, that is. The term is a conjunction tying verse 11 with verse 12. Paul is directly connecting that you may be established with that I may be encouraged together with you. That is is the connector between the two. All right. As an apostle, Paul didn't need a miraculous sign to be encouraged. And it would make no sense to attempt to be encouraged by a sign which he was bestowing. Instead, he is speaking of a spiritual gift of edification for the building up of their faith, a spoken epistle to complement the written one, okay? And think of it now. Think of it once again. This is what I get so excited about. I mean, I really get excited when I think of this. I'll be taking out the garbage at the mall and thinking about Paul's writings, and my heart will actually start beating faster because I'll think, we have... The, the book of Romans, or we have the book of Ephesians that we're going through, and right now I'm thinking of Ephesians when I'm taking out the garbage, because that's what I'm doing the, the, the daily verse on, right? But I will think people have been reading these books now for 2,000 years, and yet new insights will come out of them, or people will still debate, what does this mean? This person has got a different understanding than this person, and they really both believe that it's true. R.C. Sproul believes one thing in this doctrine, I believe another. One of us is wrong. It's him, of course, but you see what I'm saying? Is that He is a real grounded, faithful Christian. He's not a bad guy. People, I, I do not like when people take and say R.C. Sproul is some type of a heretic because he believes in re- replacement theology. He's a great person of God. He just has got a different view on this, one that I vehemently disagree with. But it doesn't mean everything that he teaches is bad. It's not. It's just that there's a disagreement. He has been trained in a certain theology, you're not going to change the guy's mind.
1: Well, I loved your um, your request when I went to see him two years ago. You said first slap him aside the head, <laughs> then give him a big hug for me. <laughs> ah, there I'm you like, go. Okay, okay. That should go over real big. Yeah, <laughs> give
2: him a good slap because of uh, this doctrine, but give him a hug. I, you know, I I don't dislike him. And people, I bring him up so often, but it's because I listen to him once a month. I get his CD in, you know, because of the uh, Table Talk. He comes with it. And I read the table talk every single day of my life, every day. And I get edified by it, even if I disagree with many points that they're writing. It's because I'm learning something. It's not garbage going in. You know, when you read something that is not biblical, that's garbage going in and your your mind can be twisted. It's not. It's a different perspective, and yet there is value in what they say. Quite often there's value that just builds me up. But when it comes to those certain points that he and I disagree on, I just grit my teeth and i ignore it or maybe i'll, I'll yell at it and shake my fist but anyway it, it's, it is okay to disagree with people and still not think that they're a heretic he's not you know he, he's got the trinity he's got the deity of christ he's got the virgin birth he's got all of those the rapture is not a salvific issue in any way shape or form and people yet will call other people heretics because they're pre-trib and I'm mid-trib. Mm. That's the stupidest thing on the planet. That really is. That kind of stuff is and just... That's
1: the stuff that'll that will tear churches apart. That tears churches like apart. Basically, it's like, okay,
2: who is Christ to you? Right. Once we agree on that... Everything else everything you can else you can work through. Trim. But some people right. don't want to work through it. They want to argue over... Yes, sir. So, instead listening to him or reading
0: the table talk go to superior word in today's writing oh
2: well you know I'll do that I'll start reading that every day thank you thank you I will do that superior word today's writing thank you I'm gonna do that. It's gonna be my my new challenge um, okay so uh, let's see here it's uh, the conjunction okay as an apostle Paul didn't need a miraculous sign to be encouraged it would make no sense to attempt to be encouraged by a sign which he was bestowing Instead, he is speaking of a spiritual gift of edification for the building up of the faith. Oh, I read this. A spoken epistle to complement the written one. Such a spoken message would accomplish exactly what he desired. By the mutual faith of both you and me. He is quite clear that they have the faith already. Just as he does. And he is hoping to add to that faith so that they will be productive, competent followers of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, in a second letter, Paul describes exactly what believers should do after exercising their initial faith. It is surely this thought, not an outward demonstration of the miraculous, that Paul is speaking of. And now, um, uh, let me read that: Two Peter one five through eight, Two Peter one five through eight, Romans, uh, One Peter, Two Peter, one five through eight. Oh yeah, this is a this is you talk about a, a set of verses that eternal salvation. Right here, this is a great set of verses to verify the doctrine of eternal salvation because people disagree on that one too. And they are wrong. No doubt about it. Here we go. Great verses for this. But it's also what Paul is relaying to about building each other up. Okay, so I'll get both. Um, uh, it, first, I'm going to just start at the beginning so that you can see the logic of this. And I need to leave on time today. I've got to be out that door. And the reason why is because um, I have something to pick up for you Can you lock up? Thank you. Um, Simon Peter a bondservant of uh, and Apostle of Jesus Christ to those who obtained like precious faith say believers right he's writing to saved believers to those who have obtained like precious faith okay, he's not reading writing down believers okay everybody's got that Saved believers uh, with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ you're like believers you're saved by Jesus Christ Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Kind of sounds like what Paul is saying, building you up in the faith. He's saying by the knowledge, multiplied by the knowledge, okay, or to you in the knowledge. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, okay? He's given us everything we need to do to live our lives properly in the presence of God, all right? by which, meaning what he just mentioned, his divine power, the knowledge um, uh, uh, of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, through these, you, saved believers, may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? The divine nature means that someday we are going to be raptured and we're going to be given glorified bodies. Mm. All right? All right. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. For this reason, because we are going to be like him someday with divine bodies. We're going to see him as he is, and we're going to have this, this sense of eternal fellowship. We are reunited through the blood of Christ. We are spiritually uh, uh, regenerated when we believe. We are now made one in that uh, sense with God. And because we are going to have that actualized when we see Jesus and when we are there for all eternity, okay, for this very reason, do this now, is what he's saying. We're going to have this start now. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. So he's making a step of things, okay? And who is he talking to? Save believers, Okay. All right, self-control to self-control. Perseverance to perseverance, godliness. Each one of these things we are to expand on because as you take each step, you're going to be more like God. You, You add to godliness, okay? That means acting in a godly manner, presenting yourself in the world where people say, why is he the way he is? I'm tired of living in this basket of sin. I want to be like him, okay? To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound everybody here you're doing these things and they're abounding in you what is the result you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the <coughs> knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ now listen to verse 9 who is he writing to say believers for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins he's a saved believer he's just not following the pattern mm-hmm he never questions their salvation somebody can actually forget that they were saved by Jesus Christ God never does you talk about a verse for eternal salvation right there because I have people all the time say that person can't be saved he doesn't act like a believer at all stick their finger in your face and they say oh you look at you absolutely not if they have called on Jesus Christ and they have forgotten that they were saved God never did. They are saved, eternal salvation. And matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says He is the author of eternal salvation. Word for word, He says it. Okay, so um, where are we next? Um, uh, Oh, I'm still reading this. uh, Where was that? One Peter, what verse? Okay, one thirteen. We're in another verse. Wow.
1: I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Okay. I think I did. No, that's just
2: one. That's no, no, that's thing. right. That's just one. Um, okay, I'm going to start setting this up right now. And I'm going to continue with this all the way through the book of Romans and the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and <coughs> Philippians and Colossians. And we're going to uh, go through Hebrews. it. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> what did he just call these people he's writing to? Brothers. A little further down. Mm -hmm.
1: Gentiles,
2: Gentiles, right? Mm -hmm. He is going to call them Gentiles. And then he's going to talk about himself as a Jew. And he's going to talk about other people as Jews. Especially 9 through 11. We'll get there. He never, never calls the Gentiles Jews. Never. He never calls Jews Gentiles. He always makes a distinction. When he talks about Israel, he talks about Israel. He never mixes the two. Now, if he said, you guys are Jews now, he wouldn't have used the term Gentiles, right? He uses the term differently. But he, he wouldn't because
1: of who he is and what he went through to get to this well, I
2: understand that, but I'm saying he makes a distinction. So when people say there is now no difference between Jew and Gentile, male and female, all are one in Christ Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And they take that verse and they run with it and they say, see... There are no Jews and Gentiles anymore. No, the very fact that he said Jew and Gentile in that sentence proves that there are Jews and Gentiles. Because in the same sentence he says males and females. And there are still males and females. (coughs) You don't change when you come to Christ. So I want you to remember that. Because that is a part of the theology of replacement theology. We are now Israel. We are now Jews. R.C. Sproul actually wrote in Table Talk magazine one time, where are the Jews? Here we are. That never coincides with what Paul says ever. We did not replace Israel. We are not Jews. We are Gentiles and we will always be Gentiles. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. When it says there is now no difference or distinction in Christ. In Christ. in Christ, There is no distinction. We're all on the equal level. We all stand on the same plane before the Lord. But there is a difference between the two. Just as there is a difference between male and female. Okay? We are all one in Christ. But we are not the same in Christ. In other words, we will always be the nations. We're always going to be the nations. For all eternity, I will be Charlie Garrett. I'm not going to be anything other than I was. I, that's, the Lord is building a church out of the nations. Do you think that he's not glorified through the black skin of a person in Africa or the yellow skin of a person in, in Asia? It, 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 we look at these things and we say, oh, you know, God's going to do away with all that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that he will ever do away with that. He may take care of the imperfections. I might be handsome in heaven, but I'm still going to be who I am, right? Okay. Um, handsome in heaven, that'll never happen. Our uh, eyes will be healed. We won't. See. <laughs> yeah, your eyes will be healed and you won't see my ugly. That's what it'll be. Thank you. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, so... Thank you. That was perfect. You couldn't have done better with that one. Um, okay, so um, verse 13, uh, uh, Gentiles. Okay, so here's the comments. Um, here Paul defends that it was his, his intention to come to Rome earlier and that he hasn't simply ignored the believers there. We've already seen that he is fully aware of the faith of those in Rome. He said that in verse 8, that he is constantly in prayer for them. We saw that in verse 9, and that those prayers are in, uh, included in a requested way for him to visit Rome. Verse 10, and that his intent was to build them up and thus be encouraged together with them in their mutual faith. Verse 11, because of this sequence of of thought, he lets them know that his heart for joining with them is honest and that his plans have included a visit to them all along. However, he has been hindered until now. This is Paul's way of telling them that he has been following a set course of action which simply wouldn't allow him to venture to Rome. As I said before, he is following the leading of the Lord. He'd love to go to Rome. You know, I'd love to, like I said, love to go back to Israel or to Malaysia or to a million other places. It's not going to happen because I know that the Lord has me in this ministry and this is where I am to be. And I love being here. Doesn't mean that I I am sad that I'm not going back to Israel. It's just I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. Maybe someday I will go, but right now I just don't feel any need at all to leave What we're doing right here every single day I just I I love it I hope everybody here feels that way I know you mentioned a while ago that maybe I I, I don't think that I think you are exactly where you should be and the Lord is leading you exactly as Paul he had a desire to do something else but that desire was kept in check okay so um, uh, let's see here where was I um, oh yeah this is explained in our analysis of verse 10 which took us to Romans 15 to understand why which I read you the next thing Paul tells us is the reason for his desire to visit those in Rome, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Putting everything together, we see that the reason for him being hindered from joining them was because he desired to bear fruit for the sake of the gospel. However, his greatest desire was to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. That was verse 15:20. Uh, Therefore, because Christ was already known in Rome, it would be contradictory to his modus operandi to go there. Okay, So he's not going there because at this time, he still has other places where the, the message has not been built. All right? Now, however, as Romans 15 goes on to explain, this will no longer be a hindrance, and therefore his ability will be joined to his desire. We can look at Paul's example and learn from it. Often we put our desires above our set goals, and those goals then suffer because of it. Mm. How many times How many times do you have somebody say, well, I think the Lord is telling me I should marry this person? That is the worst thing in the world. I tell you, when I hear that, I think, you know, I, I'm sure that's not the case. Because somebody else might be getting the exact same thing. of oh, The Lord is telling me to marry this person. And now you've got a problem because two people are claiming that they're supposed to marry the same lady, right? Well, it's not a problem in Barack Obama's America, but it is a problem because both are claiming that the Lord is telling them to do something. All right, we, there are certain things that the Lord is not going to tell us to do. We have to make a decision in life, and we have decisions. You know, once you're married, though, all of a sudden, I don't think that I'm supposed to be married to this person. Well, did the Lord tell you to marry this person or not? Right? So in, I'm telling you that the Bible says you are not to divorce a person except for this particular reason. And other than that, you're to stay together. And how many people say, I, I don't think that I'm supposed to be in this marriage any longer, and I hear that from Christians a lot. I'm sorry. The Lord would never tell you to do something contrary to this word. And this word says that you are to stick it out. Okay? If they're not a believer, they can leave and you're not bound under that circumstance. Other than that, so sorry. You are obligated to the Lord and His word first and foremost. So, you know, you can say God is telling me to do things, but it doesn't always work out that way. And I have noticed that almost always, not always, I did hear of one story that was different than this. Um, It wasn't to me, but I heard somebody say that but I almost always when I hear somebody say the Lord is leading me to do this it's something that they want to do anyway right hey you know I think the Lord wants me to do this or do that well they want to do it anyway they're just looking for verification by somebody nodding their head and said well if the Lord wants you to do it then go ahead and do it
1: Saturday friend. the what Saturday
2: Saturday oh I, that one. one oh man <laughs> uh, uh what is it Franklin Frank. <laughs> we won't go into it that's a joke between me and Jim here but uh Franklin, uh, if you ever watch The Twilight Zone, there is a... This is what I'm going to tell you to explain why I said what I said. There is an episode of The Twilight Zone, and it was a Christian couple that went down to Las Vegas. This lady won a trip to Las Vegas, right? And so, she's down there, and uh, the husband is, uh, you should never go gambling, and this is bad, and blah, 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 and he got addicted. It wasn't intentional, but he got addicted somehow, and the machine called his name, Franklin, every time he tried to get away from it. He went up to his hotel room, and the machine comes up into the hotel room, Franklin, Franklin. So that's what we're talking about, but I don't want to give any more information. I just don't want to leave you too far out of a joke. But uh, yes, it's not always what people say they're going to do that the Lord has asked them to do. Um, Anyway, um, uh, okay, um, where was I? Uh, We can look at Paul's example and learn from it, okay? Yeah, our desires. This lesson is particularly important in matters of pertaining to the faith And therefore we need to determine at the outset that we will let nothing hinder the goals that we set by doing so we show that the ministry and gospel of Jesus is more important than the temporary things that our eyes alight upon all right you got that hunter just because you want something doesn't mean that it's right okay sometimes we want things that we can't have and you know what if you do it and it is contrary to what the Lord would have you do according to his word then don't do it okay I like having Hunter here. I hope he comes back someday. He's probably gone. I ain't coming back to this one. All right, let's go on to verse fourteen. We got ten minutes left, so we're in good shape.
0: Some fruit.
2: What's that? Can you
0: expand a little on some fruit.
2: Some fruit. Where is that? Um, uh, some harvest. Oh, that I might have some fruit among you also. Well, he's hoping that they'll be blessed, they'll be built up, they'll be edified. That possibly some of the things he says will encourage them to go out and tell other people about Jesus and get more. So this
0: doesn't necessarily refer back to Galatians five twenty two
2: the fruit of the spirit. Oh no, I don't think so. I I, I wouldn't think so at all. You know, okay. the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and yeah. you know all of those things, and that's true. And you know, hopefully they already have that. But what he is getting, he's hoping to be built up and edified, and to maybe see a reap of harvest from his teaching. They're growing in knowledge. They're growing in. And uh, uh, maybe evangelism—going out and telling other people some
0: fruit among you,
2: there. right? Yeah. That's right. So, and that's what he's doing. He, he's going there to and give them instruction in the yeah. Word of God. So, but I, I could be wrong. It could be the fruit of the Spirit, but it, it just doesn't okay. logically connect with with it to me. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Well, was was his his goal in going to all the Gentiles? Was to have a harvest of? of Gentiles saved souls, saved souls. So that was among his among them they were surrounded by unsaved people so that's if right he had a harvest among them it would be that's, that's he, what I'm saying exactly right coming to the Lord because but um, why would they do that because he is instructing them on how to do that just because they're you know, I, I'll give you a perfect example of what you're saying and I, I think everybody here may have the same uh, life experience I don't know but this certainly happened to me I met the Lord I read the word Ten hours a day, seven days a week over at my job, and I read it once a week, and I read it for two years. And I had no idea how to tell somebody about Jesus. Now, has anybody had that same problem where you know you know the word, you know Jesus, and you have no idea what to say? No idea. My wife is there every day walking around thinking I'm nuts. I'm sitting there reading the Bible, and you know, I start reading it in Greek, I start reading it in Hebrew out loud and practicing it. And she knew that I had changed. I wasn't Quite as bad as I was before, we'll say. But anyway, um, I, I, I didn't know how to tell her about the Lord or anybody else. Okay, so I was getting no fruit for the kingdom. And then one day I went over to Temple Baptist Church, where uh, uh, which is West Florida Christian School where Tangi and Thor started in kindergarten when they came back from Malaysia. We got them enrolled there. Not because we were Christians, but because it was a private school mm-hmm. and because it was the cheapest private school. And so there they are, and we went over to to um, talk to the school about, you know, the annual bring your, talk about the children and how they're doing. So we were there for that. And Pastor Ross walked by, and he said, Oh, you're the Garrett's. We'd never met him. We didn't go to church there. And I said, Yes. And he, he the first thing he did is he looked at me, and he said, Do you know the Lord Jesus and I said yes I do and he could not have cared one more bit about me he was done with me this guy was an attack dog he immediately without asking my permission went to my wife and he said do you know the Lord Jesus and her exact words this is exactly what she said has not hit me like husband that's her exact words I still remember to this day and he said well can I tell you about Jesus and I thought, you know, he's not even asking my permission. Which, you know, what I country
1: just... country do you think you're
2: in? Yeah, hello. This is, you know, she walks two steps behind me for crying out loud. She doesn't. But anyway, anyway, I, I just thought I, I was seeing somebody that was bold. I'm not saying a negative comment. I'm seeing a positive comment, right? I'm seeing somebody that's bold, and he wants to tell him about Jesus. And he started talking to her. And I paid attention to every single word that he said. And I walked out that door, and for the next five years... Every time I met somebody, I said exactly what he said. I expanded on it. I built on it. But now I know how to do. I had the head knowledge about the Bible, but I had no idea how to put it out. And so that's what you're talking about. He is going to teach them how to take this letter and put it into application. Right? And that's the same thing when I was out at the beach. Had the the Bible questions uh, answered. Don't be shy. Sign up there. I'd never taught anybody in the Bible ever. I had no idea how to teach the Bible. You learn real quickly when you've got a sign that says Bible questions answered. And people would come up and I'd say, I know where that is. Oh, let me find it. And I'd be shuffling around. And, but boy, the next time you never made that mistake again. I know exactly where to go. And you learn by teaching. Sergio will tell you that. Sergio knows exactly because he's been doing this with the band of brothers. He didn't know how to speak about Romans 1 through 6. And now he teaches Romans 1 through 6 every three months when he goes to one of these band of brothers things. And he probably would teach it much better than I can because he's he's proficient in it. He's studied it, and he's been able to turn it around and tell other people about it. And he says, he'll give me a story. You know, somebody will be walk up to him and say, I never could resolve this problem in my life, and now that you've explained it, I know I don't need to worry about that anymore. That's the benefit, and that is the fruit that I think... In, that's what you're relying to, isn't it? I'm just saying that, that at, while he is teaching the believers... He may harvest some of the unbelievers. Unbelievers. That's right. That's right. He he, he, there may be unbelievers in the church with them as well. That's right, and they may come to Christ as with family members. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a harvest isn't just—it's not just the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the people. It's the fruit of education and knowledge. And some of those are probably fruit of the spirit. So there's probably some overlapping. But to your point, here we
1: are, two thousand years later. Yep. Still. Yes. (laughs)
2: Paul is still harvesting 2,000 years later. That is absolutely the truth. As a matter of fact, it is Paul that does the harvesting. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Paul the individual. I'm talking about the letters of Paul. Mm -hmm. Written by the Holy Spirit through Paul's hand. Because what do we always use? It's what Pastor Ross used when he talked to Editho. Romans Road. 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 You use the Romans Road. Paul is still speaking. The Holy Spirit is still speaking through the same letter that we're looking at right now. Mm -hmm. Because that is the word that tells people the simplicity of the gospel. You remember those four verses out of Romans, and you can always tell people about Jesus. You build on it. You see their eyes are waning. You move over in this direction a little bit. You see them backing up, then you lighten up, and you go a different tack. But you use the same four verses again and again and again because those are what people will understand. I have a disconnect. I need to get reconnected. This is it. And Now, you read verse 14, right? 13. No, uh, 13. Uh, oh, yeah, the 13. And are we done with 13? Did I give you all the, um, hang on a second here. Uh, by doing so, the ministry of Gospels, um, yes. Okay, so we're not going to read 14 because we've only got four more minutes to go. Doesn't
1: somebody have a question? I don't
2: know. The thing never rang, so I, but, apparently, yes. Why are you looking,
1: might you
2: mention those four verses? Um, yeah, I'll mention the four verses. Um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Let's see here. The, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There's one right there. Right? All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And what happens when we sin? Wages the wages. Sin that's sin, right. The right. wages of sin is death. And then I always explain that. You don't just say the verse. Explain it. When you go to work, you get a wage. Yeah, you, you, you've earned a check. That's your wages. You get what you've earned. You have sinned. You have earned death. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And uh, yeah. then the, the wonderful word, but... I always say that. It's such a wonderful word. It's so small, and yet it has so much significance. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then I always explain what a gift means. You have just done what with your sin? You have earned wages, death. A gift is something you can't earn. Explain that to them. Don't just give them the first. Explain that a gift is in contrast to the work. You have worked. You have earned death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can talk about all the theology in the world with that, or you can make it simple. You say the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ is our, the Lord, and then you give them the last one. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I understand now. I'm a sinner. I have earned death. Jesus Christ died to take my sin debt away. And then take them to Romans 10, 9 and read it to them. And say, you know, if you believe in your heart that God raised, if you believe, um, let me read it to you, you out of here with, rather than. Confess th- with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus your Christ heart, is Lord, and believe in your heart, that, that's right, that God raised him from the dead, you will be, will be saved. That's it. If you call in the name of the Lord, which is explaining that verse, it's a done deal. Well,
0: 13 explains
2: it. it 13 explains it, that's right. But with the, with the mouth one is, go ahead and read it.
0: No. Thirteen is mine. I,
2: I'll share it with you. Go ahead. <laughs> For
0: whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, that's right. That's my verse, but but I share it
2: with people. Absolutely, it's your verse, but you share it with people. <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Say so. Okay, let's pray I'm out of here. Um, psalms. um, let's see. Who are we going to have prayed in? Jim, would you? Hunter, do you pray? No, don't put him on the spot. Oh, I just—that's why I asked—is I'm not going to put him on the spot. But oh, yeah, I do. Do we want to close this in prayer? No. Okay. That's that's why I asked. Tim, you got it then. Absolutely. All right.
1: Hey, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, this night, your word, Lord. That we all can get together and listen to the insights of just 14 verses thus far this entire uh, summer, and uh, we keep getting so much more information through it. And Lord, it is perfect. It is uh, uh, long lived. It's been. Doing it's. Your magic, your your glory for the last two thousand years, mm. Lord. And we just uh, again need those four verses and the simple, uh, simple message that it brings. It so just calling Jesus, who, who is God, who was born, bought us, was martyred, and uh, died on the cross, and, and He was raised. And now gives us that simple path of just believing mm. who He is. And Lord, that faith is so simple. And, Rewarding. Just uh, know that we, uh, we treasure it, and uh, we hope that uh, others do too. And we'll let people know about it. We have to. We'll use words. Mm-hmm. And Lord, just um, know we uh, love you and pray all this to you, since all need you. Amen.
2: Jesus. Amen. Okay. okay. All right. Thank you, everybody. I'm gonna turn off the uh, turn off the thing and.
1: Board note today. You what? Leave it. You didn't use the
2: board once. Oh no, I didn't. You know, it's because I get myself sat down there. Let me turn that off.